This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week because we have a new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim, humming, coming at you. Whose album was that? That was definitely Escape, their first album. (laughs) It's it's random how that comes out. Like, I have these references that I know these terms and these phrases, but I can't remember where they came from, but you are on point. It Mm -hmm. definitely was. Love that album. (laughs) Yes, so awesome. Um, I am your host, LaChina Robinson. That is the voice of our fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby, and... We have an amazing episode of Around the Rim for you today. Uh, a little bit later in the show, we will be joined by Liz Cambage, 6'8 Liz Cambage, um, by the way, who has had a fantastic start to the WNBA. So she's going to join the show. Some interesting facts and tidbits about her. We also are starting um, a new segment, Tarika, that fans should be looking forward to. Tell us about it. Yes, we are going to be starting our Growing the Game Spotlight segment in which we're going to be... Whoop. I know, right? So we're going to continue to highlight some uh, individuals and media who are going above and beyond and doing their best to keep highlighting the game of women's basketball. So today we're going to have our first spotlight, which is on Erica Ayala. So we're excited about that. Yes, yes. That is our contribution to growing the game. Tariq and I um, are excited to bring that segment to you. We are also obviously going to recap L.A. versus Minnesota. Now, I know it seems like forever ago, but come on. It was the season opener, um, highly anticipated matchup, lots of drama. I was in Minnesota. Uh, Tarika had eyes on it. So we're going to recap that game. We're also going to shed some light on Chelsea Gray, um, who happened to just hit the game winner, you know, be clutch again. That's what she did. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we will recap that as well. Some other little special nuggets. Um, but let's start out with my clipboard. And, and basically, Tariq and I were just taking stock of all the fantastic things that happened during opening weekend for the WNBA. Keeping in mind, the season tipped off Friday, May 18th. Um, there was one game on that day, and that was Dallas versus Phoenix. Liz Cambage against Diana Taurasi and company, Brittany Griner. Um, and it was great. Phoenix won. I thought it was a wonderful matchup to start the season. Um, Liz really held her own. She looked great against Brittany Griner. I mean, she's mobile. Uh, she's got great hands. It looks like she's starting to get up and down the floor with that quick Dallas transition offense. Um, so there's a good, great way to, to, to kick off the season. And Diana Taurasi looks amazing. I mm-hmm. mean, she's gotten some rest in the off season. She looks nice and, and felt, which there were a lot of WNBA players that have looked nice and felt, felt, you know, I, we'll talk about the whole vegan thing later on. There <laughs> is a, yeah. There's a trend moving through the WNBA and, um, for probably shallow reasons, I'm thinking about jumping on board. But anyway, so that tipped us off. But, Tarika, here's my clipboard of things that stood out to me. First of all, I loved WNBA all day. The season kicked off Friday, but then on Sunday, the league came up with hashtag WNBA all day because all 12 teams were in action on that Sunday first weekend. There were six games. Um, Connecticut beat Las Vegas. Uh, the Mystics beat Indiana. Dallas beat Atlanta. Um, L.A., again, beat Minnesota. We'll talk about that. An exciting game. Chicago beat 
uh, New York, and then Phoenix beat Seattle. So I just thought that was a great way to kick it off because we were using the hashtag all day, um, and it, you know it was just it, it was just fun to see everyone kind of jump on board with that. Um, and then being in Minnesota, so. I just wanted to talk about the magic that happened at the Target Center on Sunday with the rematch of L.A. and and Minnesota. Of course, the Lynx, it was their ring ceremony. Candace Parker jumped on Twitter as soon as she found out that um, L.A. would would have to kick off their season there and watch the ceremony and, and voice her displeasure. But we're all hype about it. I was super excited. And I was watching your Twitter since you had like live footage. And just the way that they came out was like crazy. But... I kind of saw another tweet, too, that kind of disturbed me a little bit. Wait a minute. Which one? It was the tweet when uh, L.A. was warming up and apparently (laughs) Minnesota decided to test their audio. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So at the end of the LA, uh, LA shoot around, and in all fairness to Minnesota, shoot around was nine to 10. So they waited until L.A.'s practice technically was over on paper but they needed to test their audio and their video for the ring ceremony so they happened to do that at the end of the la practice why la was still while la was still on the floor there was sound there was video actually of minnesota beating la last year in the finals it was just awkward super super awkward but you never know how that impacts a team la seemed to not pay attention to it but it did it give them a little chip on their shoulder did they think it was disrespectful um so long story short it it worked out in la's favor but the other part of it was just the incredible crowd Tariqa. like i swear minnesota has the best fans Mm -hmm. it was 13,032 um listed as a sellout on the final box score the ring ceremony was fantastic. I mean, the theatrics, the lights, the introductions of the players, the whole thing. The crowd was great. It was really just one of those moments where you say, I wish every WNBA franchise had this. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, Minnesota has grown over time. Cheryl Reeve, Maya Moore, there's been some things that have come along and it helped this organization get to where it is in terms of the four championships. But you have to give some love to their front office because they're just top notch. Like, absolutely. And, and winning four championships absolutely helps in continuing that to happen as well. But yes, <laughs> yes, that does. And I would say the last thing that really stood out to me, and this, this was something that people are still talking about right now, Tarika, is, um, across from the Target Center. So Rebecca, Holly, and myself are leaving the Target Center after shoot around. And we're just like, okay, we're going to cut this way, go to the hotel. And we look up, we raise our eyes, and there's a huge Jordan brand poster of Maya Moore with the famous Michael Jordan wings. Now, if you've never seen the poster of Michael Jordan, he's got his arms outstretched, palming the basketball. And it's every every kid had it on mm-hmm. their wall, right? Like, if you were a basketball fan, we all had that uh, poster of, of Jordan. But here it was Maya, and it was huge, and it was beautiful, and it looked so heavenly. And not only was it just an amazing sight for those of us who support the game and support the WNBA to see that level of investment, to see Maya on that type of platform, but you watch the impact on young girls. Like there's an article and I tweeted it. Um, you can find it on my Instagram page right now, but there is an article that was written about this picture that's gone viral of this little girl standing in front of, of the Maya Moore poster with her arms 
stretched out. Did you read that story, Trina? I did. And you know what? It just reminded me of, and I know we're going to get into this later, the out, the um, Adam Silver comment. It just reminded me of what we spoke about on our last episode with Angel when she said, you know, people don't know what they don't see. And this was the prime example of how just having that mural there literally gives everybody an opportunity to see what it is that the WNBA has to offer and seeing that little girl on that video like I literally almost shed a tear because I was so excited and so happy to finally see our players getting the love and the exposure that they deserve yes yes absolutely yes 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 and and in this article the little girl who's in the picture she was four years old her name is Liliana and her and her dad were on their way to Target Field. They were going to catch some some baseball. And instead, there was a, a conversation that was generated by this four-year-old about the Timberwolves and, well, do girls play? And how can you walk by the Target Center with a, girl, with a game getting ready to happen? And your daughter says, do girls play? So her dad wisely ditched baseball. And just the incredible impact on this four-year-old. You'll have to read the article. So anyway, that... Was great. The Maya Moore um, promo spot that came out with Jordan's voice at the end with the old Negro spiritual feel like Jordan brand really hit hard. Mm -hmm. So shout out to them. Uh, You know, shout out to Maya's agent, Lindsay Kagawa, who I know is always working hard to to brand her players. But what did you think when you saw that spot, Tariqa? I I actually teared up. I did. I genuinely teared up. Like I was so, and first of all, I'm so dramatic, right? So I'm on my phone and mo- I'm on my phone all the time. So when I saw it, I saw it on Twitter because I was going back and forth from NBA TV to the games that were on Twitter. I even hooked up my computer to my television so that I could literally look like the person on the commercial watching three games at one time. And as I was scrolling through my Twitter is when I first saw the, the commercial and it was actually tweeted from the Jordan brand Twitter handle. And I I screamed. I screamed and my daughter came running out the room and was like, is everything okay? And I'm just like, you need to see this. So I I, like I am. I was so excited about it. I teared up. And then I later saw the article um, with the little girl in Minnesota. And I was like, the WNBA is making me so proud. And we're only one day in the like one day into the season. Like we ain't even really in the season yet. And I'm already like, this is why we do this. I know, I know. I mean, that just put the icing on the cake, that whole video, the whole, you know, like Jordan scene. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're still collecting some information about just, you know, the, from the Jordan brand group about what that meant and, you know, how it was all put together. We will definitely share some more information on that with you guys as it becomes available. But if you have not seen the spot, check it out at Jumpman23. Um, and with that, Tariq and I are going to move into the first quarter. First quarter opening weekend lived up to all the hype that we had promoted and that was being promoted across social media and not just from a personal bias that I have because I love the league so much but our numbers are showing that as well Um, as I said I was switching back and forth from like three different channels to watch it but specifically uh, our our finals rematch between Minnesota and LA it drew 297,000 viewers which was up 38% 
from 2017. So it was the most viewed ESPN2 opener since 2013 and the most viewed ESPN regular season game since 2014. So when I hear these kind of numbers and I read these kind of stats, it just shows me that as much as we're talking about growing the game, that it's working. The game is growing. People are starting to tune in and in the WNBA is expanding its audience. So I know that you were there on site covering that game, LaChina. It was ridiculous good all the way to the end as these games usually are um what are your thoughts uh give us give us the the scoop in the target center scoop on what was going on yeah it was fantastic i mean the the biggest thing is this is the best rivalry in sports right like in my opinion um la versus minnesota so i it was smart of the league to make this the first game of the season. Now, everybody complained last year that they didn't play till halfway through the year. Then, of course, you're going to have people that complain this year that's the first game of the season because um, everyone didn't have their full team and everyone hadn't had a chance to really practice a long time either. I mean, WNBA players sometimes are arriving two days before camp, mm-hmm. a week before camp. Um, uh, L.A. was without Candace Parker due to a, a, a minor back injury is what they're calling it. She's day-to-day. But also Maria uh, Vadiva, and their rookie from uh, Russia, she was not able to be there. So they actually only had one true post player. But just the, the animosity between the two teams, the excitement about the ring ceremony, combined all of that stuff. And when I say this is the best rivalry in sports, coming into this Sunday's game, and thank you to ESPN Research and Elias for everything I'm getting ready to share because I don't make any of this up myself. Um, but coming into this particular game, the last two years these two teams have met in the finals, they've played 16 total times coming into Sunday. Okay? 16 total times. That's 10 times in the finals because they've gone five games each finals and six times in the regular season where they played each other three times in 2016, three times in 2017. They'll actually play four times in 2018. But they tied. I mean, they came in 16 times played and each, each team had won eight games. And so this was an important moment and we were all wondering, okay, what's going to happen? You know, and then we found out Candace Parker was injured and Mm -hmm. we thought the game was going to be over. But let's hear from Holly and Rebecca in terms of how intense this rivalry really is. We are picking up exactly where we left off, Game 5 of the WNBA Finals, right here in Minnesota with the two greatest teams in the league right now. How has this become such a big rivalry? Well, it's become the best rivalry in the WNBA in the history of the league because every time these teams play in recent history, every game has mattered. And when we talked to Cheryl Reeve before the game, she said, they hate us and we can't stand them. And those are the kind of emotions that fuel this rivalry. Now that just says it all. <laughs> hate is hate is a strong word, okay? <laughs> just it is what it is. <laughs> right. And by the way, that was another aspect of this weekend is that Holly Rose served as play-by-play for the first time in her career. We were so so happy for her to get to do play-by-play on a WNBA game of this magnitude. Uh we all know her for sidelining, but Holly can do 
anything, honestly, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, she is courageously continuing to battle cancer. Uh, Ryan Rucco had uh, a conflict. It couldn't be there. So Holly Rose stepped in. And there was also this awesome moment where <laughs> 22 years ago, Holly had written a letter to Lifetime and said she wanted to cover their WNBA games. Well, Lifetime never got back to Holly. Holly found her own way in. Mm-hmm. I mean, she used to work the Utah games, okay, back in the day when they had a team. Um, but they actually wrote her a letter back recently and just commended her. They were like, oh, you know, are we... Your letters seem to have gotten lost in our mail. It was just an awesome moment. Anyway, it we're was. Gonna try to have, it wasn't it great. It was. That was the second time on Sunday that the WNBA had me tearing up. I'm sick of y'all making me cry now. I know. It was great. So anyway, so Holly, um, she was played by play. So I just wanted to throw that in. We're going to try to get her on the show at some point to talk about that. But, you know, here are the takeaways, guys. And we're, we're going to let you, we're going to get off of this game. So, the LA won by one point without mm-hmm. Candace Parker um, on a game-winning shot with over five seconds to go. Chelsea Gray hit an impossible shot where she's hanging in the air and she's she's well defended. She had three defenders, in fact, in her area. Makes a ridiculous shot, and we know that last-second shots aren't new to this rivalry. Elena Beard hit a game winner in game one of the 2016 finals. NECA hit the go ahead uh, bucket in game five of the 2016 finals, uh, which LA went on to win. Um, game one of last year's final, Gray hit a uh, jumper with two seconds left. And she has just been clutch. And we're going to talk a little bit about her later in the show, but she had 12 points in, in crunch time, which ESPN research defines as the last five minutes and overtime if there was one. So she stepped up major. But this game, here are the takeaways right here. Brian Aguilar doesn't allow his team to make any excuses, so he was into them. Like, they had no Candace Parker. Mm -hmm. When you're missing Candace, you don't have a facilitator. You don't have, arguably, one of the best players on the planet. And so that changes a lot. They're shorthanded. They had one post player. Neko Gumake was the only true post player they had. But Brian Agler's not having excuses. Michelle Vopel actually wrote a very nice piece on Brian and his his no excuses approach because this is what we've learned about him over time. Here are the takeaways, okay? Elena Beard had zero points, but maybe had the biggest impact on the game as Maya Moore shot four for 14 from the field and Elena Beard spent most of her time Defending Maya Moore, okay? Mm-hmm. Sylvia Fowles, you thought she was going to have a, a field day because there's only NECA on the inside for, for L.A. She really didn't dominate. I mean, she had a great stat line, 15 points and 12 rebounds, um, but she also had five personal fouls and six turnovers. And that was the other thing. Minnesota had 24 turnovers as a team, and that was really what cost them the game. That was They had 20. Oh my gosh, 24 turnovers for 23 LA points. And, and those turnovers were by six by Fowles, four by Maya Moore, four by Brunson, who, who looks amazing. Um, Simone had three turnovers. Simone didn't really look like herself. She was three for six. But Minnesota definitely succumbed to the pressure, the defensive pressure of LA. And I thought that Lynetta Kaiser gave Minnesota some really tough minutes off the bench. She's going to be great for them. Um, Danielle Robinson, Tanisha Wright, still figuring it out. But when this team comes along, they're going to be very good. 
Yeah, most definitely. And, and you definitely nailed it. They also didn't have Jantel Lavender. Um, the Sparks didn't. So just all the way around the, the way that their defense looked on Minnesota. And Minnesota bounced back. I mean, they also just finished up a matchup against Dallas. And, you know, Sylvia Fowles showed <laughs> showed why she's Sylvia Fowles. Uh, 20 and 20 and 5 steals. I mean, she's, she's amazing. So we, it's not that you're worried about Minnesota because they're clearly going to bounce back and they'll clearly be one of the top two teams in the league when it's all said and done. But uh, it was a motivational boost for L.A. to just to be able to put on that kind of performance in that building um, with the target pretty much uh, out for Minnesota, knowing that they didn't have one of the best players in the world on their squad. Yeah, no. And one of the bigger takeaways as well is that neither one of these teams have had a lot of time to gel, right? Like, mm-hmm. if anything, Minnesota has the more consistent starting lineup because this is their – that's – the death lineup is what they call it for the Golden State Warriors. So I would call it the death lineup. Um, but L.A. had new pieces like Cappy Pondexter. Raquan Williams is back, which I think is going to be great. Odyssey Sims is just coming back from a surgery she had in January on her planter, on her foot. So I thought she looked great, especially her ball pressure. So before we leave the topic of L.A., um, you know, we've talked about Minnesota, that rivalry, one thing that drives it is the point guard play, right? You can't go into Minnesota and win a game like L.A. did without a point guard like Chelsea Gray. We saw Lindsey Whalen making huge plays towards the end of that game. And we wanted to shed some light on, on Chelsea Gray, something we're hoping to do this season or do a better job of is connecting these WNBA players to their college experiences. So um, Tarika and I wanted to share just some of our um most poignant facts and, and interesting stories and things about about Chelsea Gray in hopes of just teaching our fans a little bit more about her. Um, that clutch shot has been seen around the world over the last few days. And I guess, Tarika, what is it that stands out to you about what Chelsea has accomplished in her career? Well, yeah, you, you mentioned, um, mentioned Duke, which is where she was a star, um, guided Duke to three ACC regular season titles, uh, two ACC tournament champions, three elite eight appearances, even though she did battle some injuries throughout that time. Um, being here in Connecticut, I've become very familiar with the Connecticut Sun. And so I know she was picked up at number 11 in the 2014 draft to the Sun. But again, injuries, man. And that I think that what really attributes to her story is that she's known how to battle to come back and get on the court. She came off the bench for Connecticut in 2015. And uh, she was traded in the offseason for John Quill Jones. And we've seen how that has worked out for them. So think that trade may have been beneficial for both teams as a matter of fact um but uh she's a first time WNBA all-star which came in 2017 it was the first time she really got put on the stage for uh the amazing player that she that she has been and that we've seen her to be um and she's hit not one but two game winners against the Lynx as we've mentioned which the first one was game one in 2017 um in the WNBA finals and then uh, the second one was on this past Sunday where she hit the buzzer beater layup, you know, for the Sparks in that season opener. So she's just an amazing player. She scored um, or assisted on 36 of the Sparks' 77 points in the season opener against Minnesota. So she was very much uh, a part of of how they're able to pull off some of these amazing upsets over Minnesota. 
Yeah, it's really incredible when you look at some of the things Chelsea has accomplished and just her entire journey. I'm going to share with you 10 quick facts slash stories about Chelsea Gray that all fans should know. Tariqa already stole some of them, but that's okay. We can repeat them. Um, (laughs) Hearing all her ACC accolades from her time at Duke, most people don't know that she had ankle surgery while at Duke, a dislocated kneecap, and a fractured kneecap. Uh, while she was there. The fractured kneecap is what ended her senior season. She had surgery in that January 2014 and then was drafted and did not play because of that. She's from Manteca. Some people say, oh, she's from Stockton, but she would want me to make it clear she's from Manteca, California. They're not very far, but you know how you are about repping your hood, you know, Tariqa, you, you, you want people to know where you're from. Um, she was teammates and also roommates with Elizabeth Williams. Um, she also played alongside, uh, Jasmine Thomas. She's played with Crystal Thomas. I mean, when you think about some of those Duke teams, they've had unreal. Um, she was measured at having a seven, six reach in a wingspan of six foot and once had a vertical of 29 inches. Don't you love these interesting facts? This is one of my favorites. Chelsea Gray grew six inches going into her junior year in high school. So she's listed listed as 5'11". So that means she was 5'5", going into her junior year in high school. And when we look at her ability as a, as a point guard, we can't believe she, that she does some of the things she does at her size. Well, she wasn't always that size. She was basically preparing to be a small point guard. And then you grow to that length or that size or that height and can still handle and do all the things you used to do. Amazing. Quick story. Um, she actually, so the year she was drafted, that was initially LA's pick and LA made a, a move to get Sandrine Gruda. Long story short, Chelsea Gray growing up, loving LA, loving the West coast, ran into Penny Toller at the final four um, the that year, uh, oh, excuse me, the next year after she was drafted, and rent, walked up to her and says, "Hey, Miss Penny, um, I'm Chelsea Gray. I have a question. Why did you give away your pick when I was your pick?" So basically, she was saying, "You would have had me, and I want to know why you didn't pick me." Um, so anyway, I thought that was really funny because she just walked up to her and Penny Teller said, listen, it took a lot of guts to do that. So that was kind of the first time Penny got a look at her and, and looked at her as, hey, she's someone who asks the tough questions and clearly make the tough baskets, which I went back in my Duke files and I want someone to research this. Some of these facts, by the way, are coming from Lindy Brown, who is Duke's SID, who is amazing and outstanding and just tracks incredible things. But when I went back in my Duke notes, I have a note in there that says, Chelsea Gray is the much, most clutch performer Duke has ever seen. And so we need to dig a little deeper on this clutchness and see just how far back this goes. Anyway, um, another fact, nutrition-wise, now keep in mind all the injuries Chelsea Gray has had. Um, she decided to change her diet. Chelsea, from what I understand, and don't quote me on this, but I think she's lost maybe since coming in the league somewhere around 30 pounds, uh, but also gotten trimmer. And um, a lot of that has to do with Elena Beard. She has taught her the next level of discipline. If you're going to le- learn about discipline, why not learn from Elena Beard? Um, you know, just in terms of what she's putting into her body. And we saw the results of that in that first game. I mean, she, I've never seen her look so good. I mean, that shot she made at the end against Minnesota on Sunday, she was hanging in the air. I mean, it's just she's in incredible shape and in a good place. 
Tariqa, you mentioned the trade um, to bring John Quill Jones to Connecticut, and then ultimately Chelsea Gray went to L.A. Um, and then I think that is it. I have something. Oh, Vicky, her mother is just a fantastic lady. Shout out to Vicky. Um, <laughs> Chelsea's parents are just so proud of her. They were at the finals, and we've all got a chance to see them throughout the entire thing. But her mom is just like, my mom's not obsessed with me. I've always wanted to be one of those kids, Tariqa. My mom's like, okay, she's fine. Chelsea's oh. mom, like, loves loves her to death. You know? Like, I'm sure your mom, mom right? has that when you're not around. She's just trying to humble you. That's all. When I'm not around. That doesn't do me any good, Tariqa. <laughs> anyway, that is our file on Chelsea Gray. And speaking of moms, um, Tariqa and I are going to have a conversation next week about... Why you do or don't bring your daughter to WNBA games. If you have any thoughts on that, Tarika's going to share her daughter's first trip to a WNBA with us next week. But if you have any thoughts on that, please email us um, around the rim podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear why you do or don't take your daughter to WNBA games. Second quarter, players' perspective. Well, WNBA fans, we're excited to have uh, one of our peak performers already in the very short season of the WNBA and a player that we've been looking very forward to making her return to this league. Please join me in welcoming the one and only Liz Cambage to the show. Welcome, Liz. Thank you. You're very kind. <laughs> now, I have to ask this first question. Is that even how you say your last name? Is it Cambage? Is it like, how, what should we be saying? It's meant to be Cambage, like the color beige, but I don't know. I don't really care. Australians tend to say Cambage, but it's either or. I really don't mind. Okay, good. Because I've been saying Cambage since the beginning of time, and I just wanted to make sure <laughs> that you were good with that. So. <laughs> oh, no, you had well, it right. Thank you. Awesome. Well, welcome back. Um, I can tell you that everyone has been looking forward to your return to the WNBA. And if you don't remember, um, Liz was picked number two overall in the 2011 WNBA draft to what was then the Tulsa Shock and is now the Dallas Wings. Liz, why was now the time for you to come back to the WNBA? Um, my days, I was a bit young. <laughs> when I got drafted, I was 19 and I was really looking for a place to like grow and develop and I was really thrown in the deep end as like a franchise player and you know I had a lot of pressure on me and uh, the, the organization wasn't in a, the greatest place and <clears throat> I was dealing you know with teammates who weren't being the greatest teammates to me and it really just turned me off basketball in America in general and you know I, I focused more on just being with the Australian national team and playing overseas in China in the off-season. So, yeah, and, you know, after Rio um, 2016, I, I had a year off basketball. So I've only been back playing basketball for about six months now. And Coach Fred here with the Wings, he's uh, he's been in my ear and in my emails for the past couple of years trying to get me back. And, you know, I've, I visited back before, uh, I think it was 2016, we, the Australian team came out and, we were training in Dallas, and then I came and visited again last year. And, yeah, it was more just, like, timing and knowing that the organization had changed so much and that I really wanted to work with Fred and the team here now. 
Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Fred because my whole thing is, listen, everyone knew how big of a piece you could be to this team, right? Especially here comes Skyler, and um, Mm -hmm. now you've got franchise-changing players. And so it could have been a thing where it was like, okay, Liz, let's go, let's get back. But it seems like Fred in particular – um, was very patient in this process. What role did Fred and then maybe Skyler and I don't know if Aaron Phillips, what role did those people play in your decision to ultimately come back? Yeah, um, you know, I've Fred is amazing. He's such a patient person and coach um, and <laughs> someone to wait, what, five, four years for me to come back and join the team and, you know, be supporting me with whatever I was doing you know, on the other side of the world, that that really meant a lot to me. Um, yeah, and, you know, having Erin here, you know, I wish she was still playing, but, you know, she's one of the assistant coaches here and she's like an older sister to me and, you know, I'm an only child and being away from home is really hard for me. Um, being away from my mom and my grandmother, I it's something I've really struggled with in the past. So having a little bit of family here uh, helps a lot as well. Um, and then, you know, watching Skylar's development over the past few years, watch her go from a rookie to, a, you know, a big-time player, it, it's, it's been, you know, it's been awesome to watch. But I feel like, and, and Rima as well, and, you know, there's, there's so many great girls here, Glory Johnson, um, you know, people I've played with in the past and, you know, really made it easier for me to want to come back. You mentioned... Um Aaron Phillips, and I, I just start to think about the history of Australian players in the WNBA, and it's a long history, right? Whether it's back to mm-hmm. Rondello or T- Tully Bevilacqua or Pity Taylor, who you know had, had, was just amazing in her time. Aaron Phillips, uh, the list is very long what, mm. because there traditionally, at least, has been such great basketball in Australia. What is the pull for Australian players to come to and play in the WNBA? I think everyone knows that the WNBA is the pinnacle of women's basketball. Um, it's the it's the hardest league, you know, with the most the most talent. Um, and you know, if you want to if you want to get a big overseas contract, it's nice to have the WNBA on your resume. So it's a place where people come. You know, the best coaches, the best players. You know, first game back, Phoenix, Diana Trossi, Brittany Griner, stuff like that is what you know helps you develop and turns you into one of the best players you can be. And so you mentioned Rio and, and you averaged in, in the Rio games, 24 points per game, 10 rebounds, Mm -hmm. 58% from the field. Like you were just killing. Um, (laughs) You you said you sat out a year. Um, What Mm. did you learn in that year you sat out that may have helped you to kind of get around to where you are now? What'd you learn about Liz? What'd you learn about basketball? Like in general, Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, you know, we didn't medal in 2016 and that's, that was pretty bad for the Opals and I had been in a pretty bad place mentally for a few years and I just really needed a break um, mentally and physically. I, uh, I ruptured my Achilles in, what was it, four years ago. Where, what year are we now? <laughs> 2014, I ruptured my Achilles a week before the World Champs and um, that was, yeah, that was a big blow to me mentally and then I came back strong from that, but our lead up into Rio in 2016 was very taxing on my on my mind, body, and spirit. So 
I took a year off and um, went traveling and did all the things I've wanted to do for a very long time. And, you know, my, my whole life since I've been, you know, 15, 16 years old is when I went professional. I turned pro at 16 in Australia. Um, it's just been, you know, chasing basketball courts and hotel rooms and you can get caught up and lost in, you know, who you are. And I got to a point where I literally had an existential crisis and, didn't really know what my purpose was anymore and I really had to like step back and reset and reevaluate everything I was doing and the people around me and yeah and now I'm in a you know a lot better place and enjoying basketball again and you know living life to the fullest but I think it takes you you know sometimes it can take to the darkest moments in your life to find the light again. I really love your transparency. Um, you mm-hmm. have been vocal, not only in sharing about some things you've dealt with in those dark times, mm-hmm. but even using your voice for social issues. So I, I definitely mm-hmm. want to thank you because even when you were out, you know, those of us in the U.S. were keeping tabs on you and we could just see mm-hmm. this maturity. And it seemed like the more you started to speak out on things like the tumultuous times you went through, it just... Um, it, it made you more endearing as a player. Like mm-hmm. you, you became, sometimes we just look at what you do as basketball, but then we started to fall in love with Liz in the process of becoming a woman, because like you said, you were mm-hmm. 19 years old, you know? Yeah. And, and so we've seen this maturation process. And, um, I wanted to ask you about, mm-hmm. first of all, you're back now. Um, yeah. what has, what's the league been like? Um, stacked to what your expectations have maybe been mm-hmm. coming into your return after all this time? I knew it was going to be hard and it is tough. It is so physical and there's nothing that can get you ready for this league. I uh, I spent, you know, my, my lead up um, playing WNBL, the Australian League, and then we had Com games, Commonwealth games, and then I came straight over for preseason camp and I'm just so lucky we, we train against boys because that is how well, we train against men. And that is how strong, you know, mm-hmm. these these women are on the court. It is, it's tough. I'm covered in bruises. I'm not used to it. But, you know, it's what makes you stronger and it's what's going to make me better and hopefully the strongest player I can be at World Champs later on in the year. Well, you have already competed against Brittany Griner and Sylvia Fowle. So you got oh. out there and held your own. Like you really, it's amazing to think that you have not been back playing that long because you look great. And right now the WNBA, it's all about the bigs. I mean, you know, Sylvia yeah. Fowles and Brittany Griner were neck and neck for MVP. And, you mm-hmm. know, John Quill Jones, even though she's a different type of post, NECA was the mm-hmm. MVP in 2016. So um, it looks like you got to have a big inside if you really want to do something into the, in this league. So um, I think you're the final piece of the puzzle, hopefully, for Fred Williams and the Dallas Wings. Mm-hmm. Now, my last thing before we let you go is mm-hmm. how in the world did you get to DJ and open for Mary J. Blige? <laughs> I need to know this. I love Mary J. Yeah, that was like, that was a big moment for me. Um, yeah, she's doing a little Australian tour. She played Sydney and, and Melbourne and Perth. And I got the call up just to warm up for her um, at, at beautiful Hamer Hall in Melbourne, Australia. And yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've got to meet a lot of people and open for a lot of acts. Um, I, stay, I try to stay a bit, I try to do rap, DJing rap, and that stuff is just too hard. So I, uh, I play for the house <laughs> and tech house and techno. And yeah, it's nice to have a little side job, um, especially one that, you know, keeps your creative side of your mind ticking over. And yeah, it's my little, my little side job and I love it. 
Well, I don't think I can afford you to DJ my birthday party, but I've got some time. <laughs> it's in October, so we'll have to talk over some terms and see if we can get it done. You can get you can get mates rates. I look after you. <laughs> All right, that's what I'm talking about. Well, Liz, we'll have to have you back on the show. Um, I could talk to you all day. I actually had like ten more questions, but unfortunately, we run out of time. But um, I will see you actually in Atlanta for your game on Saturday. So I'll make sure I come over and say hello and uh, good luck oh, okay. and, and welcome back. We're so happy to have right. you. Thank you. So <laughs> okay. Much, thanks so much. Thank you for wanting me see on the show. All right. Well, Tariq and I want to thank Liz Cambage once again for stopping by. I mean, her return to the WNBA has been everything. She has been balling in her early games in league play. And fans, you can ball all summer long with the DraftKings. That's right. They have a one-day fantasy for women's basketball. Put your basketball knowledge to the test. I know you brag to your friends. You say you know all about the WNBA. Well, let's see what you have. The DraftKings One Day Fantasy Women's Basketball brings you closer to the action than ever before every single night. That's right. So every day you get to pick a different roster. There are so many different ways to play. You can choose a public contest for big cash prizes or invite just your friends, your homies, your old teammates and play in private contests with each other. And... It's cool if it's your first time because DraftKings offers beginner and casual contests so you can play against people who are just as new to this as you are. Now, the rules are simple. Yes, there are rules. Select six of the best players your money can buy. You think you are GM? Well, we're going to find out. Six of the best players your money can buy as long as you stay within the $50,000 salary cap. Now, the best part is if you mess up, no worries, because you can draft a new team every day. So head to DraftKings.com and download the app. Use the code RIM, like around the rim, to play for thousands of dollars in total prizes on any given night. I know I could use a little extra cash. I'm trying to take some vacations this summer. (laughs) So don't forget, the code is RIM to play. Now, the disclaimer is it's a minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. So see DraftKings.com for details. Fans, go on and play. Go to DraftKings. Let me see what kind of team you can put together for the WNBA. But most importantly, stay tuned. Stay right where you are because we have more show coming up right after this. Third quarter. Scouting report. All right, fans, so the third quarter is our scouting report. We've got a potpourri of different things we're going to cover. And uh, we have a congratulations that we owe to one Diana Tarazi. Isn't that right, Tarika? That's right, LaChina. Diana is just continuing to do what Diana does, okay? So in the game on Friday against the Dallas Wings, Diana knocked down five shots from behind the arc, which actually placed her as the first player in WNBA league history to reach 1,000 three-pointers made, okay? So in addition to becoming the fourth fastest player in both the WNBA and the NBA, which puts her in the company behind Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Damian Lillard, she just continues to solidify herself as a Hall of Famer that we all know she's going to be. She continues to just give us the best of her every single time she steps on the court her jumper is so wet LaChina what can she do like what can't DT do man 
<laughs> I know. I know. Well, and we all wondered, okay, we've all been wondering for years how long will Diana play, right? Because people don't realize it's not just about all the seasons she's played in the WNBA, but she's been playing overseas. And that was one key coming into this season is mm-hmm. she got more rest and she looks great. Um, she's turned back the hands of time and she keeps saying, listen, I, as long as I can play at a high level, I'm going to play. And based on the way she looks physically, we talked about that vegan thing. And I know she's changed her diet. Rebecca Brunson, Elena Beard is very careful about what she eats and takes in. NECA, uh, you know, Chelsea Gray has done some things nutritionally that have just put her at the next level. But Diana Dagon Tarazi, she's the greatest three-point shooter in the history of the WNBA. Mm-hmm. Um, not only statistically, but that's just what she does. Mm-hmm. I remember in the Olympics. I mean, she was... Unreal from three-point range. It's just what she does. The shot is silky smooth. Um, It's just, it's her size. It's her technique. Um, But yeah, I I don't know how many records Diana will break before she's done, but she might have all of them. I believe it. (laughs) I believe it. I'm just saying, she might have all of them. Okay, so congratulations to DT. Moving on, I just wanted to give fans a little bit of an update on where things are standing-wise. Now, keeping in mind, games are happening every day. Uh, but right now, L.A. is in first place uh, with with two wins, 2-0. and um, Washington Mystics are 2-0. and Connecticut Sun is 1-0. and uh, Phoenix Mercury is 2-1. and uh, they're lost to Seattle, actually. Seattle won in Phoenix. Uh, Chicago Sky is 2-1. and one. Amber Stock's young team showing that they are really ready to compete. Um, AJ number the number. Mm-hmm. Atlanta Dream is 1-1. One and one. Congrats to Nikki Collin as the Dream got their first win of the season and the first of Nikki Collins' career at Chicago. Uh, Seattle is in seventh place, uh, one and one. Minnesota's one and one. We mentioned that loss um, to L.A. Then they bounce back with a win over Dallas. Dallas one and two. New York oh and one. They have not won their first game of the season yet. Vegas is oh and two. And Indiana Fever is oh and three. Now we're going to move on to, um, we talked last week about the comments from Adam Silver and he had a lot to say about the WNBA and where the league needs to grow. We saw a story, was it a week ago or two, the G League guys, a little more money in the pot, getting a bit of a raise. Um, same week, we happen to have Rebecca Lobo on, and she enlightened me as to what the realistic salary of a WNBA, even the top, top level of them are. What can we do? How can we get these women a bigger chunk of that pie and get them paid? By growing the business, I mean, the, the, the WNBA players are still paid significantly more than the G League players, certainly the, the top players. But ultimately, this is not a Title IX issue. This is a business issue. Yeah. And, and we still have a number of teams losing money. I mean, I appreciate the support of ESPN. They've been great with the WNBA. You know, Lisa Borders, relatively new commissioner. She's doing a, a wonderful job. But, you know, we, we haven't figured out a winning formula, to be quite honest. I mean, we have a lot of empty seats in our buildings. The ratings have been decent on ESPN. It's been harder to get people um, to come to the games. It may be because the games are in the summer. One of the things we're talking about, do we need to shift to the so-called more natural basketball season, sort of in the fall and winter? That may be part of the issue. I, I'm particularly frustrated that we've been unable to get young women, girls, to attend those games. It's interesting. Women's basketball is largely supported just in terms of demographics by older men, for whatever reason, who like fundamental basketball. And and it's something I've talked a lot to the players about, and, and including Rebecca, when she was a player, she was active in the union and now on television. It's that we're not connecting 
with almost the same demographic that our players are. I'm always saying our players are roughly, let's say, you know, 21 to 34 in, in that age range. I'm saying, why do you think it is that we're not getting your peers to want to watch women's basketball? So I, in a way, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good problem to have in that I think the, the game looks fantastic, and it's, it's amazing where the league now is from over 20 years ago when it launched. But we still have a marketing problem, we're, we're, and we've got to figure it out. We've got to figure out how we can do a better job connecting to young people and to get them to be interested in women's basketball. So Tariq and I played that clip for you guys last week, and we asked for fans' feedback on it. Um, we do have a new Gmail address that we want to hear from you. Um, it's around the rim podcast at gmail.com. Tarika, what kind of feedback did we get on Adam Silver's comments? Well, we actually got quite a few and I knew that we wouldn't have time to read them all. So I picked the three that I thought were very interesting. Um, the first one comes from Canandra Ziegler. Um, and she writes, I want to start by saying that I'm a huge fan of the podcast in the league. You guys are amazing. That being said, I think people my age group, 20 and up, show less interest because everyone my age is into style and stuff and makeup and stuff. They want to see what people are wearing, how their hair looks, etc. Because they mainly watch sports for the looks. Um, I definitely think that's a huge reason. And some of the announcers, they also kind of seem a little tired and it makes the game less interesting. Hmm. Um. Well, that's nice of her to say about me. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I just want everybody to know, I have not read these, so this is my first time hearing them. So, Tarika. Yes. Okay, go ahead, Tarika. And I want everyone else to know, I purposely didn't give them to her because (laughs) these natural reactions, you can only get on the Around the Room podcast. (laughs) All right. So, Tiffany Pitchford says... Hey, Tarika and LaChina. I love the show. I've been listening since last year's NBA, WNBA season. In order to grow, I think the WNBA needs to align hip-hop or pop culture with the league, just as they do in the NBA. There's a reason that Drake's at games in Toronto or Meek Mill's in Philly. Chance the Rapper is in Chicago. I think they need to develop the same marketing strategy, ideally younger, um, with influential female rappers, actresses, and entertainers. In addition, I think that WNBA teams could implement more trendy or forward-thinking marketing strategies locally in their respective cities. I'm from Chicago, and I've attended Chicago Sky Games, so I'll use them as an example. I've noticed over the years that the Sky as a team does not do any marketing with local hip-hop radio stations or hip-hop pop culture events. They have in the past two years had players like Happy Pondexter and Ty Young who were active in Chicago's pop scene. However, um, I felt like the sky didn't do much to capitalize off the city's affinity for these two players. Yesterday, I noticed that the sky had their two new rookies, Diamond DeShield and Gabby Williams, throw out the first pitch at the White Sox baseball game. But that publicity strategy is still and kind of antiquated. Why not have these young real cookies at the local city girls high school games or AAU championship games or volunteering at Chance the Rapper's local community service event for high schoolers, for example? I know it's easier said than done, but it should be innovative. Adam Silver is correct. The WNBA needs to grow independently of the NBA, but I do feel that the NBA can do more to implement the same forward thinking or trendy marketing strategies that they do with their men. Wow. Is that it? Because I don't think I can handle another of these, is it? <laughs> it's, it's, so it's one more. And this is from Robert Beasley. 
And he says, hey, I thought it was interesting that Robert Silver uh, more or less said that they couldn't raise WNBA salaries, but at the same time said they were entertaining the idea of changing the season to the fall winter. You can't change the time of the WNBA season without significantly raising salaries, though. The winter is when players make most of their money overseas, which pays more than the WNBA. Changing the season would force players to choose between the WNBA and overseas. And with all the crazy max contracts the NBA is handing out, it's hard to believe they couldn't funnel some more of that money in the direction of the WNBA. Love the podcast, guys. Keep it up. Whoa. First of all, let me just say thank you for all of that feedback. I love our fans. Um, and not fans of Around the Rim. I mean WNBA and women's basketball fans because they have so much energy, passion, ideas. They want to share. They want to see the game grow. Like, we're going to start this by just saying, listen, we're not the experts, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that we don't, Tariq and I don't work at the front office. These people who are emailing don't. Um, the, the challenges that this league faces across the board, um, you know, they're, they're deep. They're wide and they're very deep. And um, I know our individual teams are attacking all of this. Uh, the league as a whole is attacking, um, you know, trying to grow the game. And, and we're happy. We, I mean, we started this podcast talking about how much the game is growing. We're excited about the direction, yet there is so much work to still be done. So we want this to be a platform where people can share their opinions regardless of whether we agree with them or not. So I want to thank um, everyone and continue to please email us. Just quickly, Tarika, I can't cover all of that. Um, you wouldn't even let me because we don't have a lot of time. <laughs> but a couple of things that stood out to me or that I thought about was, yes, I do believe that... Um, we do need to draw in a younger audience. You and I have talked about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we just feel like the role models that we have in this league would be so beneficial to young women and young girls um, just in life, not even just in terms of basketball, because the women that play in the WNBA that work on in, in the league office that work with these teams, you know, they're some of our smartest, brightest, most well-rounded, um, just amazing athletes, people, all of that. So connecting those two things serves more than just growing attendance, which is what we're seeing by the Take a Seat, Take a Stand initiative. It's not just about sitting in the seats. It's about supporting women and all that women are. So can we get to them younger? Can we connect them to these athletes at a younger age? Can we give them a resource of inspiration? Absolutely. Um, I love the idea of connecting with hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you look at what the the NBA has done in that space, it has been impressive because that connects you to an audience that doesn't automatically funnel into the NBA, right? All of a sudden we do have Kendrick Lamar fans uh, who are excited that, you know, he's referenced in some way or J. Cole right now, I think is on the promo for the finals, you know, one of his songs or Meek Mill, mm-hmm. huge news that he came to the game in Philly. Um, and I know that one of the demographics that, they're trying to connect with is is minorities. And um, when you look at hip hop culture, uh, rappers want to be basketball players and basketball players want to be rappers. I mean, we all watch the videos of LeBron in the summer doing all this rap stuff. <laughs> Unfortunately, season, right? we do. <laughs> right, we do. And then we also, on the flip side of that, see, uh, was it Quavo from Migos, you know, in the All-Star game who thinks he's like, the next coming of um, AI. So I, I do like that aspect of it. And you can say that across the board. I mean, Ellen, 
Heck, can we connect with Ellen? Let me look at her audience. I, I thought it was great that Arike was in that space, but can we get more mainstream connections to the WNBA, to women's basketball? I think that's that can always be done. Great point. And just to follow up really quickly in that same comment, I thought that it was a great idea about connecting with young high school basketball players and AAU players. We, as you mentioned, we talked about that in our offseason as far as making sure that we give them some exposure here on the podcast. So just the fact that someone else um, who were not a part of that discussion had that same thought just kind of shows that, you know, we're all on the right track with with the audience that we want to reach and where we're trying to go and how we think that it can help to grow the game. Yeah, you're right. I did like that suggestion as well. And also want to go back to the gentleman who said something about playing in the summer. That's, uh, yes, Adam Silver did suggest in addition to the demographic that needs to be grown in viewership and participation for the WNBA, he talked about the possibility, do we need to move the season? And we all know, those of us that work closely with this sport, WNBA players go and make most of their money their money overseas in the off season. So how would the WNBA supplement that income, you know, if they were to say, okay, we're going to stay here and play during these months instead, what does that look like monetarily? How does that impact our international players? Um, there's a lot to be considered and, and there's, it's crowded. I mean, don't you think the winters is really crowded, Tarika, from a sports standpoint? Super crowded, especially in October. So <laughs> that's the one month where you literally have baseball, hockey, basketball, and football all going on at the same time. And I feel like the attention would not be on the WNBA. We, I have a hard enough time as a producer, from a producer standpoint, I have a hard enough time trying to get people to pay attention to women's college basketball at that time of year because there's so much other stuff going on i can't imagine what it would be like trying to also incorporate the fairness of of wnba at that time i just don't think it would be fair to the players and it wouldn't be fair to their financial benefit so and to end this i just want to say and totally in agreement with that um that the wnba has announced that they will partner with sylvain labs um and i guess this is an innovation and brand design uh, consultancy and they will work closely with the WNBA to develop a long-term growth strategy and identify new marketing opportunities. Um, WNBA president Lisa Borders says our research makes it clear that fans are interested in establishing a deeper connection with our players and teams and experiencing the game in every way imaginable, which goes back to what the young ladies were saying on email about, you know, um, fashion and, you know, all the other things that happen outside of what we see on the court. And that's hard sometimes for those of us who love the X and O's of the game to digest. We're like, but wait a minute, but the game, you have the game. But people are honestly interested in other things and lifestyle and what these players are eating, where they like to go, what they're wearing. Anyway, um, Lisa Borders also said we are delighted to work with Sylvain Labs to help us meet uh, these objectives and continue the WNBA's growth for our 22nd season and beyond with an increased emphasis on engaging a young female audience through rich storytelling. So storytelling, obviously big, getting back to that female audience, obviously big. Now, Sylvain Labs has helped a variety of leading companies, including Google, Nike, PepsiCo, and Samsung, Team Droid. Um so I'm excited about that and what they will come up with and, and how they will have an impact. But fans continue to email us around the rim podcast at gmail.com with your thoughts and comments. We appreciate all of you. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. 
All right, basketball fans. So we are going to start something new this season that we're really excited about. LaChina and I are both um, very excited, not only about particularly what this segment is going to mean for our podcast and for our fans, but just because we will have an opportunity to uh, give some other fellow media members a a chance to kind of shine and a chance to uh, get you better acquainted with others who are also doing their very best to help spread the word um, and expand our reach in women's basketball. And so this segment is called Growing the Game Spotlight. So we are going to shed a spotlight on uh, different people who are doing their part to grow the game. I'm excited about it and I know LaChina is too. Yes, I am very excited about this around the rim fans. We hope you are. Um, and then you can also hit us if there's some people that you want to see recognized during this segment. Hit us. You know that we have a Twitter now at around the rim pod. So yeah, hit us on there. But we want to go ahead and introduce you guys to our guests this week. Yes. So this week we have uh, someone who I think is very special to me. Um, we were friends on Twitter forever before <laughs> we actually saw each other, which we finally did get a chance to meet each other this year um, at the Women's Final Four. Um, so I want intru- guys, to introduce you guys to Erica Ayala. She is a New York-based sports writer. She's a broadcaster. She's a podcaster. She covers all phases of women's basketball. Uh, most currently for High Post Hoops, which we know as uh, used to know as the Summit, and we've uh, had uh, the Summit's editor in chief Howard Megal on the show many times, and so uh, we're excited to bring you on, Erica. Thanks for coming. Of course, Welcome. I'm thrilled. Thank now, you, Tarika. You just whipped that out. I- Ayala, how do you say it? Ayala. Ayala. Mm-hmm. You said it perfectly, Tarika. Let me find out you did a little homework. I didn't. Okay. It's, the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Hispanic roots. Okay. Whippa, that's right. Okay. Well, Erica, um, welcome. And we just want you to give our fans a brief introduction to who you are, your introduction to sport, if you remember your first time, your first interaction, and then kind of what you're doing now. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. So uh, as Tarika mentioned, I'm with High Post Hoops now, but I got started um, in sports as a, as a child. I, I think the first organized sport I played was probably t-ball, um, but just played all kinds of sports growing up, including basketball, uh, all through high school. And I went to Elon University where I played uh, Division One softball. And as far as getting into sports writing, I've always enjoyed sports. I've always enjoyed writing, um, but I never really thought to do the two together until one of my younger sisters got really into hockey of all sports, uh, which is not something I had exposure to growing up. But when the National Women's Hockey League started, I started taking her to games. And then, as you both know, I'm sure, when you are following a sport, you want to know who's writing about your favorite team and the athletes. You want to get to know more about them, listen to podcasts like this one. And uh, through following that, I I just got opportunities to um, speak about sports and write about sports uh, for the first time with MyW Sports, um, which is Boston-based. And the opportunities have just kind of grown from there. And now, here I am in my third season covering the WNBA. Now, I'll tell you this. People, a lot of people listening may not know this. Elon is the best-kept secret in college 
yes. athletics, I feel like college. I tweet that at just, you all the time. <laughs> oh my gosh! Like I love Elon, Tarika. It is the the prettiest campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll one of the prettiest campuses you'll ever visit. I can't say the the nicest because, of course, I went to Wake Forest, which is right down the road. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've been hearing a lot about Elon recently because of the success of of Charlotte Smith and what she's done with that program, which has been absolutely outstanding. So, Erica. Tell us about your coverage of women's basketball. Where where did that start and kind of what are you doing now? Yes. So um, I believe my first major uh, coverage for, again, would have been with MyW Sports. And I think that was honestly the 2016 WNBA draft. (laughs) So jumped right in. Wow. Um, Yes. And um, grew up watching the Huskies, of course, and, and that class. Uh, the, the Huskies went one, two, and three in that draft, and um, it was just an exciting time again to cover a team that, uh, and my W again being Boston based, uh, had that Connecticut roots as well, and um, just made a lot of sense for us to have that coverage. And uh, so I've covered every draft since that one, and um, m- being in New York, of course, I cover the Liberty, which is so surreal because um when the WNBA started that those are the games that my sisters and I would go to and so now to be able to see um and to cover that team from a different angle um is is just been really exciting wow that is too cool now tell the fans what you're doing right now or what you do during college season i know that we're all over the place well i'm fortunate enough to cover women's basketball all year long at least we do on this podcast Tariq and i but um what seasons do you cover women's basketball and where can the fans find your work and find you on social media yes so i in the college season i've been working over with high post hoops i did some big east coverage um, but that also is the hockey season, so it's a little tough for me. But Big East coverage, definitely the WNBA, New York Liberty, and Connecticut Sun for, again, high post hoops. And I am on Twitter at elindsay08, E-L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-08 on Twitter. So you've got the New York Liberty and the Connecticut Sun. That's correct. Now, what are your observations early of those two teams? Of course, we need to get the scoop. Sure, for sure. Um, I, I've written this a few times over at High Post Hoops, but in a lot of ways, I feel like the Connecticut Sun arrived a little earlier than most expected uh, as far as their success from last season. And so far, um, signs are pointing to them being able to be pretty much right on target with that. Uh, obviously, you know, Janae is coming back. Um, we see that John Cole Jones has rejoined the team, and Courtney Williams has looked really good Woo! Uh, early on. Underrated, uh, underrated. Tarika, oh, can you give me great. an underrated sound for the podcast? <laughs> I'm going to find I'm, I'm gonna find an underrated sound just for you, just Thank for that. You. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Uh, Go ahead, Erica. Yeah, No, for sure. Ring the alarm for Courtney Williams um, because <laughs> Oh, ring the alarm. Really okay. <laughs> she looks really great um, for Connecticut, and so I, I see them being a contender for for one of those top four spots again i think it'll all as it always does come down to how they're able to finish and overcome adversity that will certainly come uh throughout the season and and to stay healthy but they've looked really good and and i think that they'll just grow um as far as the new york liberty the new york liberty is a team that you know they kind of 
have fallen into this interesting place since the rule change that it's the top eight teams now. They came into that um, as the top team in the East, and now that's that's not really a thing anymore. Um, the conferences don't really matter when it comes down to the playoffs, and I think the Liberty um, have been a team that has had a really good core, of course, starting with Tina Charles, um, but and have been a great defensive team for a number of years now. Um, I would like to see them be a little bit more disciplined and maybe set up their offense a little bit more. I think that would really help them take their game to the next level because, um, you know, you're not always going to get points in transition, especially in the WNBA, playing against some of the more veteran teams that know how to control the pace of the game. And so those are some of the holes that I see for the Liberty coming into this season. But they have, again, a really strong defensive team. I think Kia Nurse has just really been able to continue on in that legacy and and quite honestly has um, really shown what she can do offensively with this New York team. So I think they will be fighting for one of those top four spots. I think, though, that they're really going to have some some pretty steep competition in the East and some teams that were able to, um, you know, improve their rosters. I think Chicago has has done pretty well for themselves. Um, So we'll see. Well, Erica, you're buttoned up, girl. When I say (laughs) the game is going to continue to grow as long as we have people like Erica that can break it down like that for y'all. Y'all thought we came to play. We didn't come to play today. (laughs) We did not come to play. And Erica, you are a New York, you native? I know you're based, but you said New York based, New York native all through and through. Although I was. And continue to be a Houston Comets fan. I'm just putting that out there. Okay. <laughs> but okay. you know what? Raise the roof. I'm glad you mentioned that, though, because I did see that you had actually went to the 2016-17 Naismith Hall of Fame. So yeah. how was that, being a Comets fan, seeing oh Cheryl God. Swoops inducted into the he, Hall of Fame? He came with the real... All right. I guess I'll, I'll tell this story. But Cheryl Swoops, I mean, I wore number 22 in college. I wore number 22 since I can remember, and that was definitely for Cheryl Swoops. And, again, being able, being a new writer and being able to cover her induction was amazing. Um, she was very gracious with her time, and um, I, I remember I, I played it cool, you know, being a professional, but as soon as I was driving back to New York, I think I stopped at, you know, just a fast food place and called my mother, told her I met Cheryl Swoops and just started, I was just over the roof so excited i think i cried it was just amazing i couldn't believe that i that i met cheryl swoops and have been able to speak with her a few times since and um it's it's just been amazing it's it's overwhelming at times to again be able to not only meet some of the women who really inspired me uh, as a young woman and certainly as an athlete but also to get to know their stories unfortunately um you know, Cheryl Swoops and I both lost a parent around the same time, and um, that was something unexpected that we were able to connect on. Um, and I just really appreciated um, her patience and time and, and helping me and hopefully, uh, you know, just being able to talk through a very difficult time. So it's just been something very full circle and, and why I really take a lot of pride in being able to share all of the stories that come out of the WNBA from the players to the coaches and and other staff members. Well, Erica, we look forward to following your coverage. I know the fans do. Give us that Twitter handle one more time, Erica. (laughs) All right. You can catch me at elindsay08 on Twitter. 
All right, fans, go follow Erica and her coverage of this summer's WNBA, focusing in particular on the Connecticut Sun, the New York Liberty. And I just want to throw in one other little tidbit about Erica. She is a youth justice advocate. She has worked over 10 years with the Children's Defense Fund Freedom Schools, a summer literacy program that seeks to foster a love for reading, which I love. I don't read as much as I need to. Um, but <laughs> and promote literacy in communities throughout the United States. So I just thought that was awesome. Thank you for the work you're doing with children and for the game, Erica. We'll see you this season. Thank you for joining Around the Room. Thank you, and and right back at you, LaChina, and you, Tarika. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Erica, and we look forward to highlighting um, different media members that are growing the game every week on Around the Rim. And that is the end of our show. Uh, No, we had a lot. Thank you for sticking with us. Um, For Tarika and myself, we want to just remind you, you can keep up with us on Twitter, we now have at Around the Rim Pod is our Twitter handle. Um, I'm at LaChina Robinson. She is at at she knows sports underscore. That's Tarika. And um, our email address is around the rim podcast at gmail.com. I know this is a lot, but take notes. Get your pen. Um, also, <laughs> you can download us, subscribe, comment, review, all that good stuff. We want to hear from you, whether it's the Apple Podcast app, um, on the ESPN app, obviously. Um, where else can they find us, Tarika? Am I forgetting something? Just, just look. Just type in Around the Rim and we're going, we're going to pop up. Yes, wherever your <laughs> podcast destination is. But that's it for this week. We look forward to next week talking more WNBA, more women's basketball, whatever's going on in the game. Tariq and I have you covered. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app. All right. Mm-hmm. We're doing.